here at Maranatha this morning. We have something a little bit different uh, than our normal service this morning. Uh, our kids have been working hard on a little Christmas program this morning. Um, during our season of Advent, we like to focus on uh, different aspects of Advent and uh, uh, the different things that um, really uh, exude from the person of Christ. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be focusing on uh, hopefully bringing you a little joy this morning um, through uh, different acts um, and uh, through the talents that have been uh, given to us. So I would like to welcome you to Christmas on the Air. Good morning, and welcome to the special Christmas edition of Maranatha Radio. We are excited to bring you music, skits, comedy, and commercial tunes that are sure to get stuck in your head. That's right, Bob. We are excited to help you all get into the holiday spirit with our great lineup of different acts this year. This year, we've decided to bring you the very best acts in northern Wisconsin. Well, at least the acts that agreed to perform for free. <sighs> I love this time of year. The Christmas carols, the snow falling, the presents being wrapped, the shameless commercialism to bleed you out of your every last dollar. <sighs> It brings back such great memories. Speaking of that, we have our sponsor to thank. Triple and gum will make you smile. Triple and gum. It lasts a while. Triple and gum will help your mister to punch that breath right in the kisser. Triple and gum. Now, let us begin our programming this morning with a quick song from Mrs. Catherine Simone.
She loves to, to use her talents for God whenever and wherever she can. Brenda, do you know what Adam said on the day before Christmas? Uh, I don't know. It's Christmas, Eve. <sighs> wow, Bob, that comedy night school is really paying off. Thanks, Brenda. Now, we will take a look at a different perspective on the first Christmas, as the Maranatha actors proudly present Shepherds. Betty, get on over here. We gotta watch these here sheep real good tonight. I know, I know. Just like every other night. This is our job, you know. We gotta make sure each sheep is safe and herded. We've been doing this job for years. Nothing ever changes. These sheep can herd themselves. You're probably right. We could just take the night off and they'd be here when we got back. Oh, no, you don't. I know you just want to go to that inn and watch the game with the boys. We gotta stay here together and do our job. Oh, come on, Betty. If we don't get there before dark, there won't be any room at the inn. Well, that's too bad for you. I about getting stuck out here, keeping my sheep on a cold winter's night. What are you talking about? We've been watching these flocks for years, and every night's the same. You want to leave me, leave me out here and go to Bethlehem? I just wanted to give you an opportunity to watch the silent stars go by. No, you want an opportunity to be by yourself and think, leave me out here to think about the world and sin and air pining. Oh, come on, Betty. Just this once, it's not like anything ever exciting happens out here. Not tonight or any other night, Bart. You ain't going to that inn. What's the name of that place anyway? The Power Pum Pum Pum. Well, I'm, well, I'm sure they're full up with that Caesar fellow in his senses. I'm glad he finally came to his senses. That's it, enough talk. We better be watching our flocks by night or we might miss something important. Oh brother, nothing ever exciting happens in Bethlehem.
Thank you, Marinantha Actors. What a delightful look into those great shepherds on such an important night. No kidding! They were great! Hey, Brenda, what do you call a sheep with no legs? Uh, I don't know. A cloud! <sighs> Anyways, on to our next portion of the program. We will check in with Simone DeClean for a quick lesson on Christmas around the world. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Where do you come from? When it comes to the origin of using a pine tree for decoration, obviously there are multiple uses prior to the Christmas feast. Most prominent being pagan winter solstice celebrations, which involved rituals, driving out the winter spirits and celebrating the sun, S-U-N, returning as days grow longer again. The color green symbolizes hope, and evergreens as the only surviving green tree obviously symbolize the hope of summer returning. Now, some suggest that because of these other uses, putting up a Christmas tree is a pagan practice. However, I would like to hold against that. First, there aren't that many options in winter. I mean, we're talking about times before Hobby Lobby. Second, yes, the proximity of winter solstice to the Christmas feast probably did suggest using a pine tree. But personally, I like the idea of appropriating traditions and infusing them with new and better meaning. Kind of like how Martin Luther took common folk song tunes and turned them into deeply spiritual hymns. It seems that evergreens were first used on December 24 when it was known as Adam and Eve Day. In the Middle Ages, they would perform plays and reenact the story of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of the forbidden tree in paradise. Now, the only tree you can use that time of year would be an evergreen. How exactly those evergreens became Christmas trees, well, that's hard to say. But evidence does point to Germany! <laughs> yes, Germany! In the early 16th century, Christmas and New Year's Day were actually celebrated together on the 25th. So the tree, as a symbol of hope for the new year brimming with treats, kind of makes sense. Fun fact, Martin Luther is attributed to have had the idea of decorating the tree with candles. The tradition spread, as most things do, through celebrities. The German Princess Charlotte carried the tradition into the British royal family, and when her granddaughter, who was Queen Victoria, in 1848, was portrayed in a London newspaper with her family gathering around a decorated Christmas tree, well, everyone wanted what the royals had. As for the U.S., the tradition of decorating a tree was carried over by German immigrants, like me. Merry Christmas. I never knew the Christmas tree started in Germany. Me neither, Bob. I'm surprised that Volkswagen hasn't courted the market on Douglas fir trees yet. Brenda, do you know where Wiseman stopped for coffee on the way to see Jesus? <laughs> no, Bob. Starbucks! <sighs> Let's just move on to our next musical performers, shall we? Please welcome Mr. Randall Minan and Mrs. Patricia Smith with their delightful musical stylings.
was incredible. You know, I tried to play the piano once. Really? Why'd you stop? Couldn't open the piano. All the keys were inside. Don't quit your day job. Moving on, let us turn our ears to Marinette Player's production of A Gathering of Angels. Alright everyone, gather around. I need all angels on deck. Micah. Present. Layla. Here. Jahab. At your service. What's going on, Zuriel? It's about the big event. It's getting closer, you know. Of course we know. It's anyone has been talking about lately. Jesus' birth is going to be the biggest event in history. It changed the world as we know it forever. We're all looking forward to it. But what's it got to do with us angels? Everything. God wants you to prepare the humans. Huh? Humans have never experienced anything like this before, so God wants to send you angels down to talk to them and make sure that the situation is handled correctly. Correctly? This is a big deal, Micah, but if we aren't careful, it could be a disaster. We need to make sure that we sound credible to the humans when they hear the good news. I get it. You called a meeting today to brainstorm ideas on how to tell the humans what's about to happen and still have them believe us, right? Something like that, yes. After all, what we're about to tell them is going to sound pretty impossible. Now, who wants to go first? Who are we appealing to? First, you have to tell Mary she's pregnant with God's child. Oh, I know. We could send her one of those letters that says, you may have already been selected to carry God's child. Yeah, and then when she opens it up, it can say, congratulations, Mary, you're a winner. God has selected you to give birth to the future savior of the world. That would be so exciting. Yes, and finding out you're pregnant with God's child through the mail is very believable. And it isn't creepy at all. But Ed McMahon used to do it. He was very reliable and lots of other people were in his contests all the time. I just don't think that's what God had in mind. Any other ideas? Maybe we should come back to Mary. Is there anyone else we have to appear to? Joseph, after he finds out Mary is pregnant with a child that isn't his, he's going to want to send her away and have nothing else to do with her. But we can't let that happen. How can we convince him to stay with Mary? I've got it! But God will have to do this instead of us, or it won't work. But God specifically wants us to... I know, I know, but this would be perfect. I'm curious. Go ahead, Jahab. Okay, God gets one of those dark masks and puts it over his face. And then when Joseph comes from work one night, God jumps out from behind the bushes and gets real close to Joseph. This doesn't make any sense. And then, to disguise his voice, he starts breathing real heavy and leans into Joseph and says, Joseph, Mary is pregnant with a child, and I am the father. That's brilliant, man. I know. Like, no one is going to argue with God. Right? Except that Joseph won't know it's God because he'll have a mask on. Oh, right. I didn't think about that. Then I guess it won't work. This is crazy. God's not going to jump out of the bushes and scare some poor guy to death. He did it with Moses. 
He did not jump out of the bush. The bush was on fire. But this is a completely different situation. Besides, God wants us to deal with the humans this time. What else have you got? I'm drawing a blank. Me too. Is there anyone else we have to appear to? The shepherd's out in the field. What if I pretend to be a sheep in the flock? What good would that do? Well, the shepherds are sleeping, I can go up to them and nuzzle their hands, and when they wake up, I can talk to them and tell them that Jesus the Savior has been born and that they should go see him and spread the good news. Hey, that sounds like fun. I want to be a sheep, too. So do I. Listen, I've even got the action down. You must go to Bethlehem to see the baby lying in the manger. Will you all stop it? The idea was to make ourselves sound believable by bringing the good news. Can you imagine the look on the shepherds' faces when they see tacking sheep? Yeah, I guess that would be kind of funny. They sure would be surprised. Surprised? They'd be freaked out. Humans are not used to talking animals. You can't go around impersonating sheep and expect them to be calm. Besides, when they get to Bethlehem, what are they going to tell the people? We came to see Jesus because some sheep told us to? Well, when you say it that way, you make it sound like it's a crazy idea. That's because it is a crazy idea. Okay, forget the sheep. How about instead we send a bunch of parrots? Parrots can talk. No. Can, could we turn the sky blood red and then write a message in the clouds? No. Look, you're all missing the point. We don't want to appear scary, creepy, freaky, strange, weird, bizarre, or any other way that might frighten or make the humans uncomfortable. We want them to believe us. Do you understand? You're really making it hard for us here. Yeah, it's not our fault that humans are fighting so easily. Can't we just tell them not to be afraid and give them the message straight out? But that's so boring. Really, Layla? I expected better from you. That's not very creative at all. Wait a minute. I think she may be onto something here. You really are just as... You really expect us just to walk right up to the humans and say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great tidings and joy. They wouldn't buy that for a second. I think maybe they would. Nah, I think you've had your head in the clouds too long, Ariel. Yeah, they're right. The humans would never accept that. All this brainstorming is making me hungry. Anybody else go for a pizza? I could always go for pizza, but they don't deliver all the way up here. We'd have to get it ourselves. I mean, I always think better on a full stomach. Me too. Then let's go. Zuriel? Go ahead. I can see we're not going to get too far in this right now. I'll think of something myself. Thanks, Zuriel. You're the best. Now what are we going to do? Wait, what was it Leo said? Just go up to the humans and tell them not to be afraid, then give them the message straight out. I really think that could work, and I know just the angel to talk to. Gabe, Gabriel, where are you? I've got a job for you to do. (laughs) 
Wow, they are talented. We are so glad to bring you this variety show thanks to our sponsors. Triple them come. We'll make you smile. Triple them come. It lasts a while. Triple them come. We'll help you miss to punch that breath right in the kisser. Triple them come. I do love triple dead gum. Yes, it lasts four times the other types of gum. And it, the flavor is guaranteed to last over eight minutes. Now, we are going to welcome up Mr. Kevin Freitag in his melodious voice. You all can stay seated, but you're welcome to sing along. Because you'll know this one, it'll make me less nervous. Come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee be all glory give. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. 
Wish I could sing like that. You couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Hey now, just because it's true doesn't mean you have to say it. True. Hey, maybe you could go to night school for music if the comedy thing doesn't work out. Maybe, but my nose is my best instrument. Your nose? Yep, I can pick it and blow it. Oh. <laughs> Moving on. We have another quick lesson on Christmas around the world, but this time it's from the Philippines. Christmas is a big deal in the Philippines. Some claim the Philippines has the record for the longest Christmas season in the world. People will start decorating and stores will start playing Christmas music as early as September. And the season can last until Three Kings Day, which is January 6th. There are a couple things about how Filipinos celebrate Christmas that's different from what we do here in the United States. First, people go Christmas caroling to get money. If someone comes caroling to your house, they will expect you to give them money when they're done. Organizations will even sometimes use caroling as a means of fundraising. They might even send out letters ahead of time to wealthy families and schedule their caroling. When I was a teenager, I was part of our church's choir, and we would go caroling as a fundraiser for our church. We'd go to someone's home, sing a number of songs that we had rehearsed in advance, eat refreshments provided by the host, and then the host would give a donation to our church. The other custom that's significantly different from the United States customs is that Filipinos celebrate something called Noche Buena. This is a Christmas tradition celebrated by Hispanics throughout the world. And because of the Spanish influence that the Philippines has, it's the main Filipino celebration of Christmas. It's all about the food. And it's even more important to Filipinos than exchanging Christmas gifts. Friends and family will all get a, gather together in one home on Christmas Eve and have a big feast. It usually starts later in the evening and it lasts until after midnight, when everybody will wish one another a Merry Christmas. Noche Buena, like I said, is all about the food. And so they're going to have a lechon, which is a roasted pig on a spit, ham, spaghetti. And Filipino spaghetti is not like our spaghetti. The sauce is sweeter and it has hot dogs in it. Um, and they'll also have all these different delicacies like leche flan, which is an egg custard, and bico, puto, babinka, which are different kind of rice flour or rice treats. Sometimes families will even use fireworks at midnight to usher in Christmas Day. Though there are many differences, one way that Christmas is the same both here and in the Philippines would be Christmas lights. Filipinos love to put lights up, just like we do here in the United States. And they might not have evergreen trees, like Simone was talking about, but they will put lights on their palm trees and even their coconut trees, as well as their houses. When I lived there, I loved driving around to see the lights on the house, and the lights on the coconut trees were my favorite. They would put white lights around the trunk, they would use green lights to outline the, palm le the leaves of the trees, and then they would even put red lights around the coconuts. Um, we didn't have snow like we do here in Wisconsin, and it's always hot in the Philippines, so Christmas has nothing to do with winter there, but just like here, it's a festive and special holiday. Wow, I never knew that. My favorite Christmas tradition growing up was when Grandma Ethel would make fruitcake. Oh, that's so nice. Did she serve it with a glass of warm milk? <laughs> No, we didn't eat that stuff. We'd slice it up and use it as hockey pucks on our pond out back. Oh, my. Yeah, memories. <laughs> Moving on to our next act. Our next act is a renowned doctor from the Rice Lake area. Doctor? I thought he was just a dentist. Dentists are doctors. <laughs> That's the first funny joke you've told all day. 
speaking of dentists, let's hear from our sponsor one last time. Triple them gum will make you smile. Triple them gum. It lasts a while. Triple them gum will help you, mister, to punch that breath right in the kisser. Triple them gum. Without further ado, Maranatha Radio is proud to present our sermon today from none other than Dr. Jacob Herringer. Good morning. So I, I do want to start off by saying I'm nervous. That I, don't, I don't do this. If you, so there are speakers who can get up and they can talk and they, they command the stage. They walk around, they pause at the right time, they do the right looks and hand motions and things. I won't do any of that today. Um, honey, I look okay? Good? Okay. Um, so um, I want to welcome all of you here and, and just apologize in advance that this might, at times I might get lost, I might need to uh, rework some things, but if you, if, so they did say I'm a dentist, that's my day job, and if you asked me to come up here and talk about dentistry, that would make me so happy. <laughs> I could do that, you could ask me questions, I would, it would be so easy, it would be simple, I'd be comfortable, we could talk about dental implants, we could talk about occlusion, how your, how your bite goes together. The way the canines are supposed to guide things when you do your side-to-side -side movements, working and non-working interferences, all kinds of things that would be so much fun. And I have to talk about my faith, which makes me nervous. One of the reasons it makes me nervous is because it's a very important thing. Our faith is a very important thing. My faith is a very important thing. And I also know that I'm a sinner. And so talking about my faith, like I have some sort of authority, is difficult because I know who I really am on the inside, and so I get nervous when I talk about that. Sometimes when I get nervous, I get emotional, so if I shed a tear or have to pause, please forgive me. My kids always say I'm, a, I'm an embarrassment whenever I get emotional because I never get emotional at home. I, I just get emotional when I'm up in front of people and I'm nervous. So one, things that, one of the things I do like to say about myself, I say it at work, I say it at home, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a guy. Um, I'm a doctor. Well, like they said, I'm a dentist. No one's ever gotten up on a plane and says, there are dentists in the plane. <laughs> so that being said, if you do have dental questions afterwards, please feel free to ask. Uh, since I don't do this very often, and some of you know me, but maybe don't know me that well, I just wanted to say a few things about myself. I'm 47 years old. I'm losing or have lost most of my hair, um, which is okay. You know, I, I look at myself in the mirror for about five seconds a day. It makes it easy. I don't have to do it or anything like that. It's really your guys's. you got to look at it so it doesn't bother me so much. I grew up in North Dakota. If you have a picture in your mind of what it's like to grow up in North Dakota, you're probably right. It's cold, it's flat, it's windy. In the summer, it's hot and flat and windy. Um, it's always interesting, I call my parents, it's 10 below here, it's 30 below there. It's 80 degrees here, it's 102 there. So it's, it's really an interesting place to grow up. I loved growing up there. I grew up right along the Missouri River. My parents uh, owned a lumber and hardware store. I lived in town. And I remember it was, I spent, I mean, really, that's, that was my preschool. My mom worked with my dad. I remember being at uh, work all of the time as a little, as a little guy. Um, 
my dad had a, a old, one of those old-fashioned wagons, uh, like a wagon train wagon, inside his building, and I remember camping out underneath there, playing, doing all kinds of things. Um, that's where I learned how to work hard. Never look bored and never say that you were bored. Because as most of you know, if you say you're bored, you'll get put to work. So there's two things I learned as a child <clears throat> to... to uh, ways to making you, you know, to, to not give any illusion that you're bored. So one is you walk quickly. You always, you always walk fast. Even if you're going nowhere, you just, you keep the cadence up. And I remember my mom would say, would you slow down? And I, but I didn't want to slow down because I wanted, I'm going somewhere. I got things to do. The other thing is if you look exasperated. So if you're sitting there and, <sighs> even if you have nothing in here, if you look exasperated, or if you walk fast, that's a good way. People think you're into something. They don't, you don't want to be bothered. So I learned that as a, at a young age. Look busy. Walk fast. I have, uh, I have two, two siblings, both older, a brother and a sister. They're awesome. I enjoy getting to spend time with them. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. My childhood was work and, and then play. I mean, we... we loved the lake we spent so much time at the lake uh, in the summertime so when so we were at the lake or we were working we were you know I was as a young guy I was going to the community pool or I was up at work or uh, you know I was running around town playing with friends I mean I, it was great you could ride your bike and go run I mean I'd be gone all day or all evening and <clears throat> mom would yell or you know the lights would go on and it was time to go home and um, when I wasn't doing that I was working and so most of the time I just worked I worked I incessantly was just put to work I'm, I'm kidding I didn't work that hard as a kid <laughs> so I do know about some things I'll just give you real quick I am married been uh, it's almost 20 <clears throat> excuse me almost 20 years so I basically got that figured out um, ask Erin she'll tell you pretty much no worries there I have three kids so parenting not an issue got that all figured out too no almost never make mistakes or have to apologize right kids even if you can't see them, they're all nodding they, in agreement. <laughs> so now that you know a little bit about me, we need to pray. <laughs> all right, so we're going to pray and ask God to bless uh, this time together. So Father, we come before you knowing that we are imperfect, we are fallible, we are messed up, but you are good. So I just ask that your hand be upon this time. Take away the nerves and just... Um, Allow your spirit to speak. Open our hearts, make them ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was asked to share today, the first question, obvious question, what do you want me to share about? And they said, I, we want you to share about Jesus as your Savior. And I thought, piece of cake, Jesus is Savior, he saved me, it's no problem. I can do that, piece of cake. It's not one of those complicated topics, it's not predestination, it's not free will, it's not prophecy or eschatology, <laughs> those would be difficult, right? But then I got to thinking to myself, I said, Jake, this is a pretty big deal. It's an important topic. You don't want to mess this one up. But I remember numerous times in scripture where God used broken people to bring forth a message so he can do the same today. When approaching a biblical topic or, or piece of scripture, when I do my home study, when, I, when I'm just reading the Bible on my own, I always like to ask two questions. 
in, in whatever I'm reading, who does God say he is and who does God say I am? So whenever I'm reading scripture or approaching something, that's, those are the two questions I like to ask. And, so, and sometimes the third question, why does it matter? Now the why does it matter part's not as important. Uh, not, at least not to me. Why does it matter? Because God said so. I'm kind of one of those guys that, you know, my, my, my kids will ask me questions, ask, 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 and eventually I'm just like, okay, it's because I said. You know, try to explain it, try to explain it, try to explain it, it's because I said. And so I'm comfortable when God says this is the way it is, even if I don't understand why it's that way. So we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, uh, that's going to be our scripture we're going to use today. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. It's in the ESV, so if you have uh, the Bibles in front of you are NIV, so it's going to be a little bit different. <clears throat> so we'll read that together here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So right away, who is God? In verse 15, Paul declares that Jesus is the invisible, is the image of the invisible God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He's a tangible expression of God's character and love. And this is a crucial concept. He is not God 2.0. I hear some people talk about that, that you know, some Non-Christians will sometimes refer to the Old and New Testaments as, you know, God and God 2.0, or, or you know, it's the, it's the, it's God gets to undo his mistakes he made in the Old Testament, and he gets to, you know, has a fresh start in the New Testament. Jesus and God are not different. Jesus is not God 2.0. He is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. A couple of years ago, and some of you may have heard this, there was a well-known popular preacher who said, we need to unhitch, we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. You know, we, we have to put away what the Old Testament says and just focus on what the New Testament says. And it really shocked me to hear somebody say that, especially a Christian pastor. I wondered if this was the same Old Testament that Jesus explained to the men on the road to Emmaus. Or if it was the same scripture that the apostles and Jesus quote from so often. It makes no sense to unhitch or separate from the Old Testament scripture because it provides a beautiful picture of God's character, which is then expressed through Jesus Christ. You see, if God said it, Jesus said it. If God did it, Jesus did it. There's no separation between the character of God and Jesus. Jesus is God. Verse 19 tells us, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Just one of the wonderful examples we learned from the Old Testament about the character of God is from Jeremiah 9, 24. Excuse me, Jeremiah 9.24. I love the book of Jeremiah. It says this, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Verse 15 also says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now this, when you hear firstborn, this doesn't mean a chronological birth. What this implies or emphasizes is Jesus' supremacy and authority over all that exists. 
He is not a created being. Instead, he holds the highest rank and is sovereign over all the cosmos. Verses 16 and 17 tell us that Jesus was there at creation. Not only was he there, but all things were created by him and for him. Not some things, all things. His words spoke the universe into existence. Not only did his words speak the universe into existence, but he sustains each part of creation as well. Every speck of dust, grain of sand, every hill, every valley, every mountain, every star, you and me, we were all created for him, and each part of his creation, including us, is under his control. And why, did, why is it like that? Pastor Cody went through that in Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. See, all the scripture tells the story of God's plan for our good and for his glory. But something happened. We look at verse 20 and it says, things need to be reconciled to himself. Why? Why, does, why, why do things need to be reconciled to himself? Why does creation need to be reconciled? Isaiah 59, one and two tells us, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Our sin has caused a separation to occur between us and God. We can look at other passages that are a little more grim. Romans 3, which is one of the the tough sections of scripture. Verse 10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, all have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one, no one. So you have this good God and you have no one does good. So you have good and you have not good. There's a pretty big difference. So that shows the immense difference between God's goodness and sinful man. Bottom line is God's good, we're not. But, as Pastor Cody always says, but God, but God. But it is because of the goodness of God He enters in and provides a way for this great chasm between good and not good to be reconciled. Verse 20 says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus comes as a blood sacrifice to pay the penalty for the sin that we deserve. So why does this matter? Verse 18 tells us, And he is the head of the body, meaning Jesus, the head of the body, the church. Not this church, big C church, the entire church. He's the head of the body of Christians. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, meaning he has power and supremacy over the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is preeminent. He is the top. There's nothing higher than him. The life that he gives us, the freedom from sin and from death, 
caused by our sin. We get Jesus. As Darren reminded us a couple of weeks ago, we bring, that Jonathan Edwards quote, we bring nothing to our salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. There's no amount of good works, no, no, no amount of knowledge, no rituals we can perform that save us. No, I'm not saying that good works aren't good. I'm not saying that knowledge isn't good. I'm not saying that rituals that we perform or sacraments we perform aren't good. Those are good things, but those don't save us. That's not where our salvation lies. Our salvation lies in the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. If we get all these, if we get everything we want here on earth, or if we don't, Jesus is enough. He's enough because of what, of what he has done for us. So I want to tell a story, and I don't know if I'll make it through this story. I'll do my best. But I want to tell this story I heard one time, and I think it's a wonderful, funny kind of story. But there's a, there's a story about, no, no, I don't really think this is how it happens. Okay, so just full disclosure, I'm just taking some dramatic license here. The thief on the cross goes to heaven, and he gets to heaven, and they say, you know, what are you doing here? Okay, I don't know if that's how heaven works. I kind of doubt it. Um, but that, that in, for the purposes of this story, that's what's happening, okay? So this isn't a theological point. It's just a funny story. All right. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. The thief on the cross gets to heaven. And the assistant angel, you know, he's working his way up. He's the assistant to the manager. He's not the, he's not the manager. He's the assistant angel. He comes up. He says to the thief on the cross, you know, what are you doing here? And the thief on the cross looks at him and says, well, I have no idea. No, no clue. So the angel asked him, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith alone? (laughs) Thief on the cross says, never heard of it. I I, I don't know. And he says, okay, what about the doctrine of original sin? You're aware of original sin, your condition before a holy God. He's like, just stood there, crickets. No answer. So the assistant angels goes through these questions. He's getting a little frustrated because the thief on the cross can't answer any of them. So he goes and gets the manager angel. The manager angel comes over and says, all right, okay, so I got your list here. You, uh, you don't know faith alone. You don't know about original sin, baptism. You've never sung a worship song in your life. Uh, you don't know anything about any of these foundational issues. So why do you think we should let you in? And his response was, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. That's the only answer that we can give to that question. Jesus did it all. So I love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. It's one of my favorite holidays. But it's just the beginning of the most wonderful story that there is in history. Jesus leaving his throne and entering into our world to, willingly, to, to live a sinless life, a perfect sinless life, and to willingly go to the cross and die in our place, in my place, and in yours. So if you are here today and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, do not, do not delay. Do it today. So what do we get Christmas? What do we get? We get Jesus. Don't, don't, 
don't brush past that. In the busyness of the season, we get Jesus. Remind yourself of that. We get Jesus. That in everything, he might be preeminent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful promise. We thank you for the wonderful story, the truth that you came, you entered in to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So we thank you for that. We thank you, you came and died. Not only did you die, you rose to provide a way for us to be saved. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.